Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You guys need to check out June's journey. Engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Where will each new chapter take you? Discover hidden clues and solve a riveting murder mystery. Engage with the brain-teasing enigmas of the roaring 20s and delve into June's quest to reveal a scandalous family secret. You guys, I love getting lost in this world. It's so beautiful and engaging, and I can't wait to unwind at the end of the day on the couch with this game and a cup of tea. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with some samples. You guys, allergies suck and it really sucks when my nose is all stuffed up. I can't do anything. I can't even enjoy dinner because I can't taste my food. I can't work out because I feel so tired and I'm out of it and just forget getting ahead on recording the show because I sound so stuffy. But luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've honestly been using Claritin D for my allergies forever and it's always been my go-to. I know when spring hits, I won't have to worry about my eyes watering like crazy and my nose running like a faucet. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Welcome back, boys and girls. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast. This is Murder With My Husband. I'm Peyton Moreland. And I'm Garrett Moreland. And he's the husband. And I'm the husband. We are so excited for today's case. This is part two of the case we did on Thursday, which I feel like we got a really good response to. And so I'm really excited. Um like I said, this episode is a part two to the pizza bomber case. So I would highly suggest you go listen to part one of this story. If you haven't already, we will be jumping right back into where we left off, which was Brian Wells had robbed a bank and then died as well as his coworker, Robert Panetti in an unrelated incident. Bill Rothstein a couple weeks later called the cops on his toxic lover sometimes on and off again marjorie dill armstrong whose past boyfriends had all mysteriously died and now her current ex-boyfriend was dead in bill's freezer police go and investigate discover there could be a connection between the deaths because of bill's suicide note about his attempted suicide having nothing to do with the wells case from a few weeks earlier Awesome. Let's do it. I had to make sure I stayed off social media so I wouldn't see anyone on Murder With My Husband post what, what happens next. Mm -hmm. The discussions. He started reading and a, a few of you had been like, I heard this case. I've heard this case before. I started talking about things he didn't know yet. And I was like, hey, get off there. You can't know that yet. <laughs> so he's stayed completely off. So let's jump right into where we left off. 
As the FBI and police battle over jurisdiction and which case is related to which, they try to find evidence of a possible connection between the two cases. They have suspicion, but no hard evidence. They really wanted to find the pizza bomber as this case was now getting national attention. Investigators discover that before both cases, Bill was actually in a fight over his parents' estate that was left to him and his siblings, which he was actually living in the house, and it was the house on Peach Street where Marjorie's ex-boyfriend was in the freezer. So he's in a fight with all his siblings over this house. Mm -hmm. Good old Peach Street. Yeah. His siblings wanted to sell it out from under him as he'd been living there rent-free for all of these years. He tells his siblings, fine, fine, I'll put the house up for sale. But what he doesn't tell them is that he overpriced the house at $250,000, which no one in their right mind would pay for that house that was completely hoarded Mm -hmm. and old. And do you remember how much money the note in the pizza bomber case asked for from the bank teller? $250,000. Mm-hmm. So police also discover that Bill actually had a roommate named Floyd Stockton living with him at the Peach Street house until the day after the Brian Wells case. Okay. So after the pizza bombing. Okay, got it. Floyd told people when he moved out that the reason he had was because of the heat from the pizza bombing case, which makes no sense unless him or Bill was involved, right? Yeah, that's kind of weird. Did no one question that? No. I mean, okay, you have to keep in mind all the all the characters and all the people involved in this case. It's never the full truth. Yeah. Like every, it's it's everyone just is kind of and no one ever goes, "Oh, my friend just said that and it didn't make sense." Like no one's mm-hmm. really on top of things or like thinking of it that way. Which which makes sense, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So despite the money that Bill needed to buy back his parents' house from his siblings, which was priced at $250,000 and the weird claims from Floyd about, you know, I moved out because of the heat from the pizza bombing. The FBI actually clears both of them as suspects for the pizza bomber. What? And the FBI hands over Marjorie Dill Armstrong's boyfriend in the freezer case to local police. Okay, wait. So they knew all this information, but they just were like, oh, no, you're good. Yeah. No hard evidence, which I think is what they were thinking. Uh So they were like, you know what? You local police handle this messy ex-boyfriend hoarder case and will handle the Brian Wells pizza bombing case. Oh, man. Okay. So even weirder is that the FBI profilers said that the pizza bomber would be a hoarder middle-aged and frugal okay there had to be some miscommunication somewhere right like oh yeah this is not the first time you're gonna see it either (laughs) this makes no sense okay which that literally describes bill marjorie floyd his roommate yeah It, it describes everyone in the case oh that's crazy so around this same time marjorie is you know being investigated for the murder of her ex boyfriend james um she's arrested and taken to court Bill Rothstein actually cuts a deal for helping out investigators in return for his involvement in the crime, which was cleaning up the crime, hiding him in the freezer for her. But because he called the cops and helped the, and led the investigators through the house and showed him everything, he cuts a deal. Okay. After much back and forth, Marjorie ends up pleading guilty to killing her ex-boyfriend, James Roden, at her house, which they then moved him to Bill's house. And she files as mentally ill as part of her plea. 
So she's like, I'm guilty, but it's because I'm mentally ill that I killed him. So FBI are still no closer to finding out who the pizza bomber is and if Brian Wells was in on it or not, and if it was multiple people or one assailant. There were so many unanswered questions with the case, and it goes dead for a bit. Yeah, I was going to ask, so how long, do you know how long it's been since Brian died to where we kind of mm -hmm. are now? So he died in 2003, and we are just now hitting 2004. Okay. So Marjorie has, uh, you know, been arrested and charged, pled guilty, Bill cut a deal, you know, all, and the police separated the two cases. The FBI said, no, we're going to handle Pizza Bomber. You handle this. So all of that takes place in 2003. But and they still have nothing for the Pizza Bomber case. I was going to say, but nothing has to do with the Brian's case. Yep. Mm -mm. Okay. So we're now in 2004, just a year after the Pizza Bombing. Bill Rothstein dies of terminal cancer. Most people didn't even know he was sick. Okay. So just a year after the pizza bombing, a year after him calling the cops on Marjorie and saying, oh, you know, she, her her ex-boyfriend's body is in my freezer and cutting a deal. And there, this whole situation was messy. Marjorie and Bill were like publicly fighting and screaming and like acting crazy. Like she was acting so crazy mumbling rambling to like media oh bills like yeah and they're just going <laughs> i'm gonna sue him i'm gonna sue him for every cent he has for tarnishing my name like just freaking out and then all of a sudden he just dies wait so did people though actually know that he had cancer or terminally or that he was terminally ill i mean some people did but i i, I mean the way they make it seem is it kind of just came out like out of nowhere he didn't act like he was sick okay. but he had to have been sick yeah, because I was just curious. So has he known about this for a couple of years? And they don't know how long he knew about it. Okay, because that might change some things, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's also during the year of 2004 that the narrator and investigator that we see on the Netflix documentary about this called Evil Genius dives deeper into this case on his own. So it's only a year after the case, this investigator from the Netflix documentary, shows up, reads about the pizza bomber case, realizes that there was a slight tie to this Marjorie case. And he's like, there's got to be more to this. So he drops everything, drives to Erie, Pennsylvania, and starts investigating Finally. on his own. Okay. And in the middle, like right in the early stages of his investigation, Bill dies. Okay. Um, he feels that there's, you know, definitely a connection between the murder of James Roden and Brian Wells. The investigator's name is Trey Borzillery, and he starts off his investigation by building a pretty strong relationship with Marjorie while she's serving in prison for killing James Roden. Does Marjorie know that he's a... Investigator? Yeah. Yes, he starts straight up, I'm going to make a documentary about your case and, you know, how people suspected it was, you know, related to the pizza bomber case, and I don't think you did it, uh -huh. but you're a major player in this case, and she's all for it. She's like, yeah. So they they build they write back for back and forth with each other this whole entire time. That's got to be another red flag because in all these cases, I feel like the person who's the killer is mm -hmm. always like, "Oh yeah, let's yeah, let's, let's talk about yeah, it. let's talk about this." Mm -hmm. So he writes back and forth with her, talks on the phone with her, and builds kind of a friendship in a way. Like he never accused her of anything. He never asked her super hard questions. And so she thought he was on her side. You know, she thought they were building. This was her chance to clear her name. 
Trey talks to Marjorie about James's death, but eventually gets into the possible connection to Brian Wells's case. She claims she had absolutely nothing to do with it, but she's pretty sure Bill did. Okay. This is the first time that someone admits that there might be a connection between the two cases that was one of the involved suspects. Mm -hmm. So the first time everyone involved speaks up and says, actually, I think he was in on it, not just the cops speculating that. Marjorie brings up that at the time of the Brian Wells case, Bill had a blue van that he towed away from his house right after the pizza bombing, only to bring it back when he and his roommate Floyd Stockton had been cleared as suspects. So I don't know who's done it yet, but Bill's death seems pretty convenient in this whole timeline thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that'll come into play later. Okay. I'm getting smart. You are getting pretty smart. <laughs> so she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I think Bill did it. And, you know, he had this blue van that he towed away and then brought back after he was cleared. And I just think that seems suspicious. And so this is actually huge for Trey because as even, you know, the FBI doesn't know about this. No one has talked about the connection to the FBI. So and they cleared the two con- the connection. And so Trey's the first person to be like, there is a possible connection because the first trooper who responded, remember, said, there was a blue van at the yeah. end of the site who drove away. And now Marjorie's saying he had a blue van that he had towed away the day after the bombing. And so Trey's like, this is our first physical link between yep. the two. So he goes back through his footage of all the times he had been following Bill or recording Bill trying to get interviews with him and finds a video of him filming the outside of Bill's house. And there's a blue van sitting like sideways like parked on the street in front of bill's house that's so crazy i can't believe someone didn't make a connection before like that it took trey however long later going yeah. in to figure all this which out. which is what you said it seems like there was some miscommunication yeah going there on. had to have been yeah and you know oh that's crazy. i truly hope that we you know i i would wish it was just a stereotype that the fbi and local police have a don't have a good time working together because their egos get in the way. But it seems like in some of these cases, it really is. The it's case. also probably hard because I think as humans, we tend to be sometimes kind of naturally selfish. So we're just kind mm-hmm. of in our own world. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. I don't need your information. Like we're, we're going to solve yeah, this. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So Trey goes back to the, um, the state trooper who did, who saw the blue van Mm -hmm. and he confronts him and says, here, watch this video of this blue van that was outside of, you know, Bill's house because Marjorie says she thinks there's a connection and the state trooper watches it and he's like, yeah, that's literally the blue van that I saw at that site that day. And Trey's like, bada bing, bada boom. I saw just kidding. (laughs) But no, I mean, he's, he's like, holy crap. Like I'm doing this and the FBI and local police don't even know. So does he send this now back to the FBI? Yes, he communicates with them the whole time. So around the time that Marjorie and Trey, you know, their friendship, they start discussing the pizza bomber case now. Marjorie also decides to write the state police, not the FBI, about Bill's involvement with the pizza bomber in an attempt to lessen her sentence for James Roden's murder. She tells them that she can give them information about the pizza bombing. She tells them that there is you know, another person involved with the pizza bombing case with Bill. So he had an accomplice 
and she is very tentative with her information, only answering questions halfway and keeping things to herself. She's smart. She's not going to just go, here's everything I know. Yeah. Now can you, she, she holds back information. She tells half truths. Like I, I was just going to say, she's obviously insane. Like she's obviously crazy, but she's smart. Like mm-hmm. she's playing the police now. Oh yeah. And, and so she doesn't write the FBI because it's the FBI's case. She writes state police says, Hey, I have information about the, wow. the pizza bombing case because state police were the police who handled her case with James Roden. Yeah. So the FBI then hears that Marjorie is talking to state police about their pizza bombing case and decide to go through all of the stuff collected at her house for the James Roden murder. So like, oh, crap, we finally have a person who might know who's involved talking, but we cleared him. So they're like, we're just going to go through everything that was collected at her house to see if we can find any. Now we're going to go through and see if there's anything linking her, you know. So in the process... They discover a letter that she had wrote back before either murder was committed, and it was addressed to the local PNC bank branch, which is the bank that Brian Wells robbed before. Yeah, the robbery. Yes. In the letter, she was irate with them for not giving her all of the inheritance she thinks was left to her from her mother's death. Comes out around this time that Marjorie feels like her father stole her part of the inheritance from her mother and she absolutely hated him for doing this. They hadn't talked in years. So before either murder happened, she was writing letters to PNC saying, give me the money that's rightfully mine or else bad things are going to happen to you guys. So how did they not find this before? You know what I'm saying? Like, How did they not? I don't think that they, I mean, okay, I can't speak for them. And 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 I can't either. But I think it's just they hard. thought with how meticulous and how strategic and how diabolical the crime was, mm-hmm. there was no way it was two people who lived down the street that were hoarders that were mentally ill. That makes sense. I like, I that. think they thought it was more advanced like, than this. But Bill and Marjorie were smart. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously smart. Like, talk, mm-hmm. you talking about her yeah she's obviously a smart lady so i think they just wanted it to be crazy though bigger than small town crime like i think they wanted it to be this serial killer bomber who's going to do it to more people and it just it just ended up not being that Mm -hmm. so it's at this point in the case that the fbi actually decide okay you know what we just found this letter to the pnc bank which now is another connection of marjorie to the bank So it's time to start completely over on the pizza bombing case. Um, You know, with these new people coming forward and talking and things coming up, they want a fresh look. They rewatch all of the videos. They take out all of the evidence for Bill and Brian's cases. So now they're, they're looking back into the possibility that they're connected. It's during this time when watching the walkthrough video that Bill made at his house for the James Roden case with local police that they catch a glimpse of a paper sitting on his desk in the video. Mm-hmm. It's like the camera's just scrolling by and they pause it and there's like something on the desk. Okay. Well, there's a lot of stuff on the desk, but they see something. And it's it's literally like any crime show that you've seen of people finding something in a video that should have been obvious like the first mm-hmm. time. And they're like, wait, rewind that. And they like the tech <laughs> rewinds it. And they're like, look, do you see that right there? And it's like solves the case. It's literally this situation. It doesn't solve the case, but it's like 
a huge piece of evidence. How did we not see that before? Yeah, like we, they physically walked through it. How did local police not see it in the physical walkthrough? Yeah. And then after, why did no one rewatch these videos and find it? You know, why is it so much later? So there was a drawing on Bill's desk on the piece of paper that is eerily familiar to one that was found on the collar bomb that was on Brian's neck. Almost like it was a mock drawing that they put on a paper before they drew the real one on the bomb. Okay. And it's like, I'll, I'll post a picture if I can find one. And it is, it's like the same direction drawing on the paper that was found on the bomb. Oh, you would know instantly. Okay. They, they did it. Mm -hmm. Taking charge of my health is all about being super conscious of what I fuel my body with, whether it's food or supplements. I'm constantly on the lookout for the top choices. And that's why I'm stoked to share with all of you Thorn. Thorn takes a personalized, innovative, and scientific approach to health and wellness with their supplements. They manufacture all their supplements in the U.S. using top-notch ingredients sourced globally. Plus, they team up with leading medical professionals to bring you highly effective nutritional supplements. Whether it's their B-complex, creatine, magnesium, or basic prenatal, Thorn's got all the supplements I need to help promote and maintain my health goals. You guys, I'm actually taking the B-complex vitamins every single morning, and I feel like it enhances my my energy and mood especially if we've been eating a little bit unhealthy with thorn we never have to question what's in each supplement because they go the extra mile when it comes to quality manufacturing and ingredients give your body what it really needs with thorn go to thorn.fit slash husband and use code husband for 10 percent off your first order that's t-h-o-r-n-e dot f-i-t slash husband code husband for 10 percent off your first order thorn dot fit slash husband code husband these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration the product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. so like we all have stuff that stresses us out right whether it's big or small it can really get to us if we keep it all inside and therapy is a safe space to just let it all out and figure out how to deal with the stuff that's weighing us down and i am such a huge advocate for therapy it truly has changed my life for the better i could go on and on i feel like i have the tools now to handle panic attacks or just major stressors in life and also a safe space to say whatever I need to say to an unbiased party. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com husband today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash husband. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. So it's 2005 by this point. So now we're two years after. A man comes forward to media claiming that he had actually called police back in 2003, but no one ever followed up with him and he feels like he has valuable information to the pizza bomber case. He claims that he saw Marjorie driving the wrong way on the highway in Erie 
the day of the pizza bombing. And he told police that. Yeah. He didn't know it was Marjorie, but he, he called and said, hey, I don't know if this has anything to do with the case, but the day of the pizza bombing, I saw a woman driving the wrong way, driving crazy on the freeway the wrong way the day of the pizza bombing. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but like it looked like a getaway. Like it, oh my God. It was weird. And now later, like as this, you know, as the case has gone on and it's stayed in the, in the media and then they kind of slightly made the connection between Marjorie's, he was like, hey, I saw that. That was the woman I saw and no one ever followed up with me, but that is the woman I saw driving that day. That's crazy. He was sure it was her. They confront Marjorie with this information and she says, it's true. It was me that day. But I, she doesn't remember why she was driving the wrong way, but she knows that it has nothing to do with the pizza bomber case. I wonder why she would admit it because I feel like there's no hard evidence that she did it. Mm-hmm. She could have just said, oh, he's just making that up. Because I think she admitted to it because she knew she did it and she knew there was a witness. Like they probably came in and say, hey, we had someone ID you like it was definitely you. So she had to admit to it because there was heart like some there was a physical witness to it. But she didn't have to admit that it had anything to do with the pizza bomber. So case. just like make it casual. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, it, yeah, I but... did do that that day. OK. This new piece of evidence sparks interest in this case again nationally and the pizza bombing is aired on an episode of America's Most Wanted. After the episode, a man calls the FBI and says the day of the bombing back in 2003, he saw a man in overalls and a woman making a call from the payphone at the Shell station in Erie, Pennsylvania. And he only knew because they were acting weird and he like kind of had to pull around them. And then the pizza bombing happened. And so that day just like was kind of mm-hmm. engraved in his head. But now as they've shown that, you know, it could have been Bill and it could have been Marjorie, he calls in. This is a big deal because Bill Rothstein only wore overalls. No way. It was like his signature thing. Like the picture I posted on Instagram overalls? of him, overalls. All the interviews I saw of him, overalls. That's so cool that he saw it on TV and was like, wait. Wait. I saw, like, I remember that because they had, like, I don't remember what it was, but they had some sort of, like, interaction. Uh-huh. Like, they, he either almost hit him or something in the parking lot that made him remember it. And then the bombing happened. So, like, it was still stuck in his head. Yep, that makes sense. Once again, they confront Marjorie with this information. And she tells them she was, in fact, at the Shell station that day. But it was definitely for something else. It had nothing to do with the pizza bombing. And Bill just must have positioned her there that day to make her look guilty because he knew he was doing the pizza bombing that day. Okay, so she's blaming everything on Bill. Mm -hmm. Like I said earlier, it's pretty convenient that Mm -hmm. he happens to be dead. Oh, yeah. So let me tell you something. If you were somewhere innocently years ago and police ask you where you were, you wouldn't know you were at the Shell station that exact day. If she didn't make a call at the Shell station that day that had something to do with the pizza bombing, how would she know? Actually, I was at the Shell station that day, but I must have been set up. You wouldn't know that you were set Mm -hmm. up to go to the Shell station that day. Yeah, Unless you knew that you were guilty. That's a good point. Yeah. So that to me is like a 
a big deal. Like I don't even remember what I ate for breakfast this morning. Like I wouldn't yeah. know what I what if I was happened to be at a, a gas station that was used to call a bank robbery three years ago. I wouldn't know which exact day I was there. That's true because people always ask us, "So what'd you do this weekend?" And we're like, uh. uh. "Yeah, like <laughs> I don't even remember." And you wouldn't know the exact day. Yeah, that's a good point. Unless it was tied to something big. So. Investigators decide to bring in Marjorie's prison mates to see if she had mentioned anything about the pizza bombing in prison or if she was just bluffing to get a deal. They interview more than one inmate and all of them say the same thing. Marjorie says that she killed James Roden, her ex-boyfriend, because he was supposed to be the getaway driver for the pizza bombing heist, but he was threatening to uncover the plot to authorities. Oh, wow. They also say that Sloyd Stockton, Bill's roommate, who moved out after the bombing because of the heat from it, was involved. The mates also said that Marjorie told people that they measured Brian's neck for the collar beforehand. I'm not sure how or what. They don't go into detail with that. But she says it in such a sinister way that almost every single inmate brings it up. For being a quote-unquote smart lady... I don't know why she would tell the inmates all this information. Because I feel like we see this. Some people just, they, they you know, especially actually bombers. Like we see this in a lot of bombers cases. The Unabomber, he wouldn't have probably got caught, but he could not stand the fact that people didn't know that he was the brilliant genius behind the bombings. Yeah, I mean, definitely has something to do with their egos. Yeah, right? so he wrote into police, like, not giving his identity, but giving the Unabomber an identity. Like, this is how smart I am, and this is why I'm doing it. And so that's the only reason he got caught, really, literally. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think we see this a lot with people who feel like they're so smart. It's like, well, I'm so smart, and nobody knows. Nobody mm. knows that I put on this huge diabolical plan, you know? So I think that's why they talk about it. At this point, the FBI obviously need to interview Bill's ex-roommate, Floyd Stockton. His name has been dropped a lot in this, you know. They locate him. He's actually in prison now, and they try to interview him. He refuses to talk about it. In the fall of 2005, the FBI hear the name Ken Barnes being thrown around in conjunction with the case, so they find him to talk about it. He's apparently a good friend of Marjorie's and they refer to him as her fishing buddy because that's how they met. And then they were fishing buddies for years. Local police had actually already interviewed Ken Barnes back in 2003 about the James Roden murder because he was friends with all of them. There's, there's a lot of people involved in this case. Mm -hmm. So they just went to Floyd Stockton, Bill's ex-roommate, who everyone's saying was involved. He refuses to talk about it and they have no hard evidence to demand it. Yeah. Ken Barnes' name starts getting thrown around. So they go find him and discover that local police had already interviewed him back in 2003 about James Roden's murder because he was friends with James Roden and Bill and Marjorie. Ken Barnes brings up the name Jessica Hoopsick, who is a mutual friend with him and Marjorie. It's put together at this point that Jessica was a sex worker who happened to service none other than Brian Wells, our pizza um. bomb victim, quite frequently. They had a very close relationship. Okay. How it worked was Brian Wells would pick up Jessica Hoopsick 
and then drive her to Ken Barnes's house where they would then sleep together. Brian would pay Jessica. Okay, wait, why Ken's house? So Ken is the in, the the middle point between Brian, Jessica, Marjorie, and Bill. Okay, got it. Ken is friends with Marjorie and Bill, but also friends with Jessica and Brian. So Brian and Jessica would meet and go to Ken's house, mm. who they could have run into Marjorie and Bill. Does that make sense? Yep, so got all it. it's all tying back together. There's a there's a loop tying everyone in the case, and they're just barely figuring it out. And this is big because this is the first time they've actually tied Brian, the victim, to somebody from Bill and Marjorie's world. Okay, you guys, the weather's getting warmer, so it's time to put away the jackets and sweaters and bring out the shorts and the tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe, not just for the season, but for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. And I'm gonna be honest, one of the outfits I'm wearing to our live show is from Quince. That's what I'm talking about. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30 washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They actually partner directly with top factories, so Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman um, and passes the savings on to you. So, like I said, I just bought one of their silk skirts for the live show, and I'm so excited. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com husband for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash husband to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com husband. When we started podcasting, an online store was honestly the furthest thing from our minds. But now we're selling Murder With My Husband merch, and it's so easy because we use Shopify. And we really do. We use Shopify to sell our merch. I've been using Shopify for years, so it is absolutely amazing, easy to use, so intuitive. I love it. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And it's great because they grow with you. So whether you're just launching your shop or you've just hit a million orders, they are there every step of the way. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. We've actually tried a couple other platforms before we started using Shopify to sell our merch and Shopify is just the best. Um, I've been using it for years, like I've said, and I just love having control over it and being able to do what I want. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com husband. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com husband now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com husband. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Hola. 
Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. So a lot of people don't know that Garrett is actually fluent in Spanish, so I feel like I wanted to keep up my game and my goal is to be able to have a conversation with Garrett fully in Spanish by the end of the year and I feel like I probably will hit that. Plus Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. This is the hard part for me. Here's a special limited time deal for you guys right now. Get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription but only for you guys at babbel.com slash husband. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash husband spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash husband. Rules and restrictions may apply. So anyways, they'd go to uh, Ken's house. They'd sleep together. Bill would pay Jessica. Jessica would then go downstairs and use the money from Brian to buy cocaine from Ken because Ken was the local drug dealer. Oh, man, this is crazy. It was a win-win for everyone. Everyone got what they wanted. Everyone made money. Well, besides Brian. But he still got what he wanted. So now we've discovered our connection to Brian. Brian knows Jessica, who knows Ken, who knows Marjorie, who knows James, who knows Bill, who knows Floyd. This is actually pretty confusing. It kind of makes sense now why there are so many loopholes and everything. Mm -hmm. Because there's just not random people, but it was kind of hard to make that connection to Brian. Mm hmm. Because it went through so many people. So I would highly suggest at this point, if you're listening and you're feeling a bit confused, um, I will post a picture on Instagram of everyone's faces and their connection to who, like a, like a diagram. Okay. So get on, put the face to the person and look at the connection, establish who everyone is before we go on with the story, because it's only about to get more confusing, which is probably why it was so hard for FBI and police to put this together. So they try to bring Jessica Hoopsick in for an interview at this point as she's the connection, to the biggest connection to Brian that's also connected to everyone else. But she won't talk as well. And they have no physical evidence to demand to arrest her and hold her and demand her to talk. Okay. They are basically chasing down every person who might be involved and waiting for the first one to talk. But literally no one is. They have so many characters and nobody's talking. I'm surprised no one's caved, right? Uh Like felt this pressure Mm -hmm. on their shoulders. Police search Ken Barnes's house as he's the only one who's somewhat said anything. He brought up Jessica's name who, who made the connection to Brian He's not giving answers, but he's at least cooperating. And surprise, surprise, he's a hoarder. Literally, every house in this story is a hoarder house, I swear. That's so crazy. They find nothing in his house that links him to the bomb. They keep pressing Ken on the issue, and he eventually spills about this story, how one time Marjorie asked him to kill her father. She said that she could rob a bank to get enough money to pay him for it if he did. He says he never did it, but she was probably serious about the plan. That is so random. So he doesn't say, oh, Marjorie did the pizza bombing and this is who was involved in this and this. But one time Marjorie asked me to kill her father and she would rob a bank to pay him back for doing it, for being the hitman. 
And he said no, but, you know, he felt like she was probably serious because she's crazy. That's how he said it. The FBI at this point go back to Marjorie. They confront her. Hey, we know all these connections. We know this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. And we have a pretty good feeling, you know, that at least one of these people is involved. So, you know, this is what everyone said. Ken told us that you asked him to hire. So you, you tried to hire him to kill your dad. And she denies everything. These people are bat crap crazy. I'm going to oh sue every gosh. single one of them. I'm going to sue you guys for coming in here and accusing me of this. Keep in mind, Marjorie has sued a lot of people and been pretty successful at it. So that's why she keeps threatening to sue everyone. Does she not know that they've talked to the inmates, though? No, she does. And she says the inmates are crazy and trying to frame her. Oh, my god. She gosh. says everyone in this case is trying to frame her. She's the victim. Yes. Oh, yeah. At one point, Marjorie does tell the FBI, though, that Bill had asked her for two kitchen timers around the time of the bombing. And she just thought that was weird. But it's a big deal because two kitchen timers were used in the pizza bomb, but that information wasn't ever released to the public and she didn't know that. So only people who made the bomb would know that two kitchen timers were used in the bomb. Oh, okay. And she drops, he asked me for two kitchen timers around the time of the pizza bombing, which could have been used to make the bomb. But no one else knew that. But no one else knew that. That's pretty crazy. And she, like in the footage, because this is all filmed, in the footage when she says that, she panics, has a panic attack, starts screaming at everyone, and demands to go back to her cell. Because she realized she made a mistake? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. So things are unraveling for those involved. Police are pretty suspicious of the whole friend group that we've talked about, and all the friends in the group know. But there are still so many unanswered questions and no physical evidence. On December 9th, 2005, after much pushing, Ken Barnes admits to police that he was in on the heist and Marjorie was the mastermind. So the first person to speak and say, actually, I had a part in the pizza bombing was Ken Barnes. Was it because they tried to make a deal with him? No, yeah, they were just pressuring him and everyone was like, everyone involved if you were involved, you knew that they were talking to everybody mm-hmm. and they had made connections now. So, I mean, I think people had been relying on the fact that nobody knew that all of us were in, involved. Like it all made a loop. It all came back to the beginning, but now police had made that connection. Yeah. So I think Ken was panicking. Yeah. I was wondering if it was just cause he was panicking or if they said, look, well, if you admit it, then blah, blah, blah. I don't think they did that with Ken. Okay. I think they just told him like, Marjorie could fold, you could fold, Floyd could fold, Jessica could fold, Bill's dead, Brian's dead. That would be that would be so James is dead. That's crazy. That would be so stressful. Yes. I'm not even I feel stressed and I you're not even Ken. I'm not even Ken. I didn't kill anybody. (laughs) So he tells police that the day before the robbery, there was a group meeting with everyone to nail down everyone's role in the heist job, in the pizza bombing. Bill Rothstein, Marjorie Dill Armstrong, Ken Barnes, Floyd Stockton, the roommate, Robert Panetti, the co-worker who died, and even Brian Wells were at this meeting, he says. So now we've pulled Robert Panetti, the one who said, they're going to kill me too. Ken Barnes just named him at being at the planning meeting for the pizza bombing. Wow. James Roden was supposed to be... At the meeting for the pizza bombing, he was supposed to be the getaway driver, but according to Marjorie and Bill, 
he had the flu. He was actually dead in Bill's freezer. So she killed him because he didn't want to be the getaway driver. He was going to go to police. Okay. Which is what all of her inmates said she had said. And now Ken Barnes just said, well, apparently he had the flu. So we just all didn't know why he was there. He wasn't there. Got it. Ken Barnes said that his role in the pizza bombing was to be to act as the lookout. This next section that I'm going to tell you will be the events of August 28th, 2003, the pizza bombing day from Ken Barnes's confession. He said the day of the pizza bombing, Marjorie came to pick him up from his house around noon. They went to the Shell station and met Bill, where they then made the call to Mama Mia's Pizzeria for the two pizzas. They then went up to the radio tower, which was the delivery place. They wait there for Brian to show up. And then Ken says when he did, they all start eating the pizza that he delivered. He says it was at this point that Bill's roommate, Floyd Stockton, brought the collar bomb out. Ken says now at this point, Brian started to freak out a little and tried to actually run away. Oh my God. He was like, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do it. They all grab him, punch him, and tell him he's going to do what he agreed to do. Bill fires a gun into the air to settle everyone down and tells Brian, you're going to put the collar on and you're going to go rob the bank like we said. Did Brian think that it was going to be a fake bomb? We don't know. Okay. I there so there are people who think so because of how he was acting in the bank that would have been why he was acting yeah, casually it just came to my head like maybe he thought it was fake but he was obviously going to be freaking out still because he's so ken says at this time that he didn't know whether or not brian thought the bomb was fake or not okay. but he said he thought the bomb was fake oh ken thought the bomb was fake mm-hmm. it was never supposed to be real according to ken and what about the caller i'm i'm sure you're going to get there but how was the caller made or does that come later in the story you, do you mean like what it looks like or do you mean... No, like who made it? Because it was obviously designed well. Depends on who you ask. So we... I can't tell you for sure who made it. Oh, so no one knows who actually made it. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This is, this is nuts. So Ken says that Marjorie and Bill then grabbed one of Brian's arms. So Marjorie on one side, Bill on the other. And Floyd stalked in the roommate, put the collar on Brian. Ken says that Brian was yelling at this point that he didn't want to do it anymore. Please don't make me do it. Marjorie puts the guest t-shirt, ties it over the bomb, and gives Brian the notes. People assume that the guest shirt was like a tease, like, look how smart we are. Guess what's under here? It's a bomb. People think that's why they used that shirt. Mm -hmm. This is when they tell Brian, if you get caught, tell police that some black guys robbed you and put the bomb on you. And that's what he said to police. That's a horrible cover story. And so, so racist and prejudiced because they did it on purpose. Yeah. They thought that story would be more believable. Mm-hmm. They also give him the shotgun cane and tell him to use it if he needs it. And this whole time, Ken is, is recalling the story. And when police are like, okay, well, where'd the shotgun cane come from? He's like, I don't know. I didn't even know we had a shotgun cane. Yeah, that's what I'm still trying to figure out is Ken's, who made this shotgun cane? Who made this collar? Because they obviously knew what they were doing. And Ken's not fessi- Ken's saying we didn't know. Okay. Brian leaves to go to the bank at this point. And Marjorie and Ken 
drive to the Eaton Park that was across the street from the bank. They park in the parking lot and take turns watching the bank robbery through binoculars. So they were watching Mm -hmm. the bank robbery. When the cops showed up faster than everyone had thought they would, they leave and drive south on Peach Street to Bill's house where they switch vehicles. Marjorie then leaves, gets on a freeway, driving the wrong direction. She drives to the last site and waits. Did she do that because she was just going crazy or why why did she do that? I mean, I think... I think you're in a panic, right? Uh-huh. Like you're, you know, you know, you thought he was going to make it farther because he still has the money. They didn't even get the money. I mean, Brian had the money when cops found him because he hadn't even made it very far away from the bank. Yeah. And so I think everyone's like, you know, okay, we're smart. We're smart. This heist went through, but I just, I think you're not thinking. Ken says at this point he went home turned on his TV and watched the live coverage of the cops holding Brian in the middle of the road. He said he felt bad when the bomb actually went off because he thought that everyone was under the assumption that it was fake. He was, he says he was told it was a fake bomb. He didn't know it was real. After Ken's confession, police head back to the prison where Floyd Stockton is and they confront him with what they know. Hey, Ken Barnes came forward, told us you put the bomb on him. Floyd's attorney ends up getting him immunity in exchange for his testimony against Marjorie Dill Whoa. Armstrong. Floyd admits to police that he helped build a couple pieces of the neck bomb, but Bill took over and built it. So now Floyd says Bill built the neck bomb. How did Bill know how to do this? He tells them that Marjorie was definitely in on it. She was there that day and that Bill was the one who asked him to put the collar on Brian at the radio tower. He says that he could tell Brian was scared when he put the bomb, the the bomb on his neck. Oh yeah. He admits that after he put the bomb on Brian, he immediately left. He didn't know who all built the bomb, who wrote the notes or made the, the, the gun that was a cane. He said he honestly didn't even know who originally even came up with the idea. They were all just supposed to do this and split the money. He said he also didn't know how Robert Panetti, the coworker, was even involved. It's kind of confusing to me how they all didn't know anything, yet they were still just doing it, if they're even telling the truth. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We were just doing this and we we're supposed to split the money and mm-hmm. happy so ending. You basically just read what I wrote. I said, after this interview... The investigators conclude that the ringleader or leaders were separating the people involved to keep them from knowing the whole plan. Yeah. They ensured that everyone had their job and only knew what their job entailed. They didn't ever tell anyone the whole plan. Or that's what everyone's making it seem like Mm -hmm. at this point. They think it was originally about the money, but eventually turned more into a game for everyone involved. Like it was more about could we get away with this? They most definitely thought they were smarter than everyone else. On July 9th, 2007, bank robbery charges were filed against both Marjorie Dill Armstrong and Ken Barnes. Bill Rothstein, Brian Wells, and Robert Panetti had already passed, and Floyd Stockton had immunity. Now, I know it feels wrong that I just included Brian in in that, in the people who were involved. Mm -hmm. But at this time... And today, Brian is listed as a co-conspirator for the bank robbery. Because he wanted to rob the bank. 
he's listed as that. That's what people, that's what, if you look up the police file, he's listed as part of the co-conspirators who robbed the Got bank. It, but we don't know. We obviously don't know no. for sure. So was Brian a victim or a participant? According to this theory, he was both. He agreed to do it, but then when he got there, he got cold feet and they punched him and tackled him and put it on him anyways and made him do it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help when witness when a witness comes forward at after this claiming that they actually saw Brian pull out of Bill's house the day before the bombing. Like he was uh, there at the meeting. Okay. But did he know them? The coworker could have been involved to make sure it was Brian that took the delivery that day. He could have been an unknowing part of this story. So many unanswered questions. Marjorie pleads not guilty to the bank robbery charge. The judge declares her competent to stand trial. But Floyd Stockton ends up actually needing heart surgery, so he couldn't keep up his end of the deal and testify against her like he promised. On October 15, 2012, the trial starts and witnesses take the stand. Jessica Hoopsick, the sex worker, testifies at this trial and states that she had actually overheard talk of a bank robbery during her time working and buying cocaine at Ken's house. Marjorie ends up taking the stand at her own trial, and people were worried that it actually helped her case. I feel like this happens a lot. Um, I mean, I don't know many murder cases like you do, but the ones you've told me, this always seems to happen. They seem, oh, I'm going to do it myself Uh because I'm so smart, and I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. So people were a little bit excited at first, like, oh, she's going to botch this. Yeah. But then she gets up and testifies and people are like, crap. She was so manipulative that she actually, people were worried she convinced the jury to actually feel bad for her and like her. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to say, of course, it's convenient that Floyd had heart surgery Uh, during all this. I know. Oh, my gosh. So in total, it was a 10-day trial, and the jury deliberated for only an hour and a half before coming back with a guilty verdict. Okay, I thought you were going to say not guilty. I know. I was worried, too. Marjorie Dill Armstrong was sentenced to life, plus 30 years in February of 2011, for bank robbery charges. She wasn't charged for the murder of Brian Wells. Wow. Marjorie insisted she was innocent even after sentencing, I think if you tell yourself a lie for long enough, you start to believe it. Because at this point, she had been doing interviews with Trey and interviews with everyone for years claiming she didn't do this. So then how did she get 30 years for just bank robbery? Is that, I don't know enough about the legal yeah, system I in don't that either. area. So I'm well, not it was sure. life plus yeah. 30 years. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I yeah. don't know. I guess if anyone knows anything about yeah. how that system works with bank robbery. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. So it was it was like robbery with a weapon, robbery with the ended in um, a death was also on the theme. Okay. Ken Barnes stated that he was happy to be in prison because he was finally off drugs and didn't miss much of the outside world. Ken and Marjorie are the only two who have ever been charged for this crime, but they weren't even charged for Brian Wells' murder, just a bank robbery. All of Marjorie's appeals were denied. She does an on-camera interview with Trey, the investigator, and you can watch it. When Trey had shown up at the court for her hearing, she asked him to sit behind her, and he did. They built a weird friendship. He decides now that she's been convicted. He is going to be more blunt with her and ask her if she really did have something to do with the pizza bombing. Because before this, he was just going along with her saying, mm-hmm. so so then why did Bill do this? And what did a never, never saying... The evidence adds up to you. Just trying to get on her side. Yes. 
So he's going to do it. He's going to confront her. She literally freaks out on him, hangs up on him. Oh, wow. Jessica Hoopsick ends up going to prison for drug charges and writes Trey while she's in there. She had denied his first attempt at an interview after she testified at the hearing, but now she says she's ready to do an interview. This is important because she's never talked to anyone, not even police. How long is she supposed to be in prison for? She just had drug charges, so I don't even know how long her prison sentence was. The whole reason is she went to the same prison as Marjorie, and so Trey had talked to Marjorie about her, and Marjorie's like, yeah, we got, I went up and confronted her and told her that she had lied on stand, and she never, she she doesn't know what she's talking about. Surprised she didn't try to kill her. I know. Well, we don't actually know what happened. There was a, com- a confrontation altercation, and no one can tell the truth about it. Okay. We don't know what happened. Trey tries to confront both of them. So this is when Jessica's like, Trey's been talking to Marjorie. He tried to interview me at the trial, but I didn't want to. I'm going to contact him now. So she writes him. She gets together with him because she has like work release. So she meets him during her work release hours to do an interview. She tells Trey, and this is the biggest part of the case. She tells Trey that it's time she make things right. Brian Wells was more than a customer to her. He took care of her. He drove her to the grocery store. She says they had a very special relationship. What? She tells Trey that one day she walked into Ken Barnes's house and him and his friends were planning on robbing a bank. She says they asked her if she knew anyone that they could use to rob the bank. They told her, you know, we need someone who wouldn't run and tell the cops. They tell her, if you find someone that can go in and rob this bank for us, we'll give you $5,000 of the money. Oh, no. She asks them, you know, if I tell you a name now, will you give me money before the bank robbery? I just want it now. Ken tells her, no, but I'll give you some crack if you find someone right now. Okay. She tells them, you should use Brian Wells. He's a pushover. Oh, no. She brings him over to the house later so everyone can see his face and recognize him, and then they leave. She gives them his work schedule. She tells Trey that she doesn't, she doesn't think Brian knew what was going on. She had never talked to him about it, and he didn't go to the meeting the day before because he was with her. Jessica says Brian was truly an innocent victim in it. He showed up that day to the radio tower just thinking he was delivering pizza. So was Ken lying, though, when he was saying that Brian said he didn't want to do it anymore? Do you think that was a lie? Personally, yes, I do. Okay. No, I do too. I was wondering if... Yes. Uh, In the police reports, though, in the case file, no, they think he's involved. They think he's involved. Personally, because keep in mind, Trey did this interview, not the FBI. This is horrible. This is a hard one. Yeah. I mean... That's so sad. I I mean, I don't know what... I don't even know. Yeah. So, I mean, I... After we posted on Saturday, I cried after because, yeah, I just... This case sucks. Personally, I do feel like Brian was a victim, but he hasn't been uh, like released as a victim. Yeah. And so it just, it's a sucky case. Trey actually sits with this new information and then he calls Ken and tells him what Jessica said. So instead of going to the cops, he calls Ken Barnes and says, hey, Jessica just told me the truth. Ken panics, confirms to Trey that Brian didn't know the robbery was happening that day and he wasn't at the meeting Oh, before. my gosh. 
Okay, so then wait, why is this still in the police records? This because is crazy. Because this is a this is a private this is an investigative journalist. Did he never? Did he go to the police after and yeah. tell them? And they just were like, eh. Yeah. It's closed. It is what mm-hmm. it is. Okay. People were charged. Yeah. Marjorie went to her death from breast cancer on April fourth, twenty seventeen, insisting that she was innocent in the pizza bombing. What an ego that she couldn't. Jessica gave birth shortly after the heist to who she believes to be Brian's baby. The child looks exactly like him. No one has ever been convicted for the murder of Brian Wells. And that's the story of the pizza bomber. Oh, man. That ended pretty sad because I, we no one knows what happened with Brian. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, my opinion, I don't think he was involved, but it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, everyone's changed their stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it says a lot to me that when Trey went and confronted Ken with this information, he changed his story. Because I think Ken was thinking he couldn't get a murder charge if Brian was involved. Yeah. They could only get a bank robbery charge, which they did only get a bank robbery charge. So I think if he said that that Brian was an accomplice and there was no one really left to prove that he wasn't besides Jessica, because Marjorie was going to go to her deathbed saying she didn't know she was not involved and Bill's dead. Brian's dead. Everyone's dead. Yeah. And Floyd Stockton has heart disease. So, I mean, I think he was just like, if I just say Brian's involved, I won't get a murder charge. I think that's the reason they said he was involved. And so Jessica comes forward and says, I have to be honest. I'm the one who gave them Brian and he was a victim. He didn't know that he went and delivered those pizzas that day. And that's why I think Robert Panetti, the coworker, was involved to make sure that Brian was the one who delivered the pizzas. That it wasn't another worker. Yeah, no, it all makes sense. This this is a pretty wild one. I mean, it, all the pieces kind of fell into place at the end, so it definitely makes sense. And I think this is obviously my personal opinion. Like I said, the police file does states that Brian is a co-conspirator. So I personally believe that he wasn't, and I feel bad about the way he was treated before and after his death. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad that his name is still listed as a co-conspirator when people have come forward that were involved that said he wasn't. But I don't know if you have any physical evidence of that. Yeah, so, I, know. I don't I don't think there ever will be physical evidence. It yeah. kinda kinda sucks. So yeah, I mean my heart goes out to his family and I think it's important that we share the full story just like Trey did. I'm proud of Trey for going forward and getting this full story. Yeah. I kind of wish there was like big rewards for private investigators because yeah, I feel too. like they always solve these types of cases and all they kind of get is, hey, pat on the back. Thanks mm-hmm. for helping us. I mean, we can help reward them by going and watching the Evil Genius Netflix documentary, like yeah. watching his documentary, supporting his documentary. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a complicated one. But yeah, that's the story of the pizza bomber. That's wow. the roller coaster ride of the pizza bomber. That's just insane. Yeah, hopefully everyone's listening to the second half because I feel like that's when things started picking up. Picking up. Yeah, so go to our social media, uh, Murder With My Husband on everything and check out all of the images. I posted images from last time and I will be posting. There's a lot. There's a lot of images for this case. So I'll be posting more today and I guess we'll see you guys next week. I love it. And I hate it. Goodbye.
you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.